1: We're getting to the point of the season, season five here, where we're gonna start wrapping things up over the next few weeks. And as we do so, we're gonna be visiting with various staff and partners from across North America to get a bit of a reflection on how the 2021 and 22 hunting season unfolded, how some of the environmental conditions unfolded, how they changed, what kind of effect that had on on birds and, and hunters, as we can kind of experience them and talk about them based on our observations. Some of the guests on these episodes will be ones that we have visited with on earlier episodes here in Season 5, and that is the case on today's episode where we we have with us Virginia Goetz, Ducks Unlimited's Director of Conservation Programs for California, Nevada, Arizona, and Hawaii. Virginia, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Mike. It's good to be back.
1: Whenever we spoke with you, oh man, I don't remember exactly when that was. It might have been October, September, maybe even, probably was actually, very early in season five, the drought was the big focus of our, of our discussion. We talked about how the drought may have affected production out there in California and throughout the West. We also talked about kind of how drought, those drought conditions were setting up to affect the forthcoming fall and, and winter season for you know for both the ducks and geese but also importantly for for the hunters and so i guess that's kind of where we will will start off with uh, in in reflecting on that drought and the way the conditions were sort of at the the very beginning of, of the hunting season what we were anticipating if my memory is correct we had a pretty uh, had a pretty substantial early change uh, in terms of some some welcome rainfall. So let's just start there, if you don't mind, Virginia. Talk about that. How much rain did we get? I remember hearing about like this atmospheric river and and how did it change things and what did that do to the landscape there coming out of that, uh, that really dry summer?
2: Yeah, we have had some crazy changes um, since early fall. We talked back in early September and at that point, California was in the second year of a very severe drought, and more than 88 percent of the state was classified in extreme drought, and more than 46 percent of the state was in exceptional drought, which is the driest category listed by the U.S. Drought Monitor. And most of the state's key fall staging and wintering areas for waterfowl were in one of those two categories. The Central Valley was classified as exceptional drought. Well, conditions have improved substantially since then due to record-setting precipitation in October and December. Uh, Waterfowl season opened in the Central Valley on Saturday, October 23rd. Um, Typical waterfowl opener. The weather was calm and warm. Um, However, Sunday, October 24th, was a completely different story. Um, We were hit by this incredible storm, which was referred to as a bomb cyclone or atmospheric river. And the Central Valley experienced torrential rainfall and strong south winds of 25 to 40 miles an hour. 24-hour rainfall totals were impressive, and they broke records in multiple parts of the state. Sacramento itself received um, a little over five and a quarter inches of rain by the following morning, so in a 24-hour period. That broke the previous record that was set in 1880, and multiple areas in Central California recorded 24-hour rainfall totals of at least 5 to 10 inches um, on that period in October. The storm also dumped several feet of snow in the Sierra Nevada. December brought more rain to the Central Valley and heavy snow to the Sierra Nevada. You know, major storm started the day after Christmas, and that resulted in so much snow that both of the major highways over the Sierra Nevada were closed for a couple of days, and many of the people living in the Sierras and foothill communities were without power for multiple days. And snowfall totals for December in the Sierra broke the old record that was set in 1970. The snowpack in the Sierras is currently about 110% of normal for this time of year. So all of that um, really, really changed the the conditions that we had gone into this fall expecting. Um, as of January 20th, less than 2% of California is in extreme drought, and none of the states in exceptional drought. So this is a huge improvement compared to conditions at the start of the water year in late September. However, it's important to note that the Central Valley and California as a whole are still in drought conditions, Um, Currently, 66% of the state, including the entire Central Valley, is in severe drought. So we got off to a great start in the water year, but January, which is typically a very wet month, has been extremely dry and warm, and there's no precipitation showing in the seven-day forecast. So it looks like we're going to finish out January really, really dry and really warm. So we're going to need significant precipitation in February through April to avoid another major drought year. It's been episodic. The weather's been extremely episodic. But now what happens between now and the end of April is really key.
1: Virginia, that's a crazy, uh, <laughs> crazy up and down. You know, Even going back to the, the end of last summer and then the, the extreme rainfall that you talked about there. Uh, Very early on at the start of the season. And let me tell me if my, if what I was hearing was correct, that first event, that first rain event primarily affected the Sacramento Valley portion of the Central Valley, the northern portion, you know, a lot of that rice production area. And, but what I was hearing was that a lot of that rain, or at least the majority of that rain, missed the southern uh, portion, or at least I guess I should say the San Joaquin. Uh, valley is that uh, was that reasonably accurate that the the San Joaquin Valley the grasslands some of the grassland districts remained dry kind of early in the hunting season.
2: Well, they got some of the precip out of that big storm, but no, not nearly as much as the Sacramento Valley. So it wasn't such a game changer down there as it was up in the Sacramento Valley. But you know it helped everywhere, obviously, um, and, and those clubs that had delayed flood up voluntarily in the grasslands because they only had limited water supply they they did not flood up early they continued to stay on that delayed schedule
1: yeah that was kind of where I was going to go next is thinking about the dichotomy of of perhaps how that rain fell and and if it and and how it may have affected hunting success in different parts of the valley so if they uh, some of those some of those folks, some of those clubs and properties in the southern portion there in the San Joaquin Valley may not have, it sounds like they probably didn't have as much water, didn't get as much water and it delayed flood up. And so, yeah, they were probably still struggling early on. But what type of response did we see from the birds? And then what did the hunters experience there in the Sacramento Valley after uh, after that first early rain event?
2: Well, going into the season, what we would have expected is those areas that had water, would be very good from a hunter success standpoint. If you had water, you should have had good hunting. Well, that all kind of changed the second day of waterfowl season because water... Spread all over the place. Water was extremely limited at the start of hunting season, and that impacted bird distribution. You know, for those early arriving birds, that obviously affected bird distribution. And some of the areas, you know, that typically are flooded up early and pretty stable habitat, like the Butte Sink, they were really struggling to get water on the landscape. They were, they were partially flooded. um, Not the normal situation. So this impacted bird distribution early on. Then the big storm that occurred on opening weekend in October spread water and consequently it spread the birds all over the landscape. I mean, we saw... Vernal pools, uh, in the grasslands, foothill wetlands, water everywhere. And of course, it put that really desirable sheet water in a lot of the rice fields that had been planted and harvested but not flooded for straw decomp. So there was new water everywhere, and the birds followed that. And I'd say overall, that adversely impacted hunters' success.
1: And then from the... Uh, there in the southern portion or in the San Joaquin Valley when did when did they really see a big slug of rain that that brought them a lot of water Or, or or did they did they did they get rain later on I know you talked about some of them delaying flood up so they would have had that in that being planned you know to put that water on the landscape but did one of those subsequent rain events really kind of cover that portion of the valley as well?
2: Well, they benefited from both the October and December precip, though not as much as the Sacramento Valley, but um, hunter success in the grasslands has been really good since the middle of December, Um, and that's a couple weeks later than when good hunting normally kicks in there. You know, they usually find that anywhere from Thanksgiving on, they really start having good hunter success. Well, it took a couple weeks longer, but it's been successful and sustained hunter success since then and again that might be expected considering the way the, the flood up was delayed down there on many of the clubs so by the time those clubs got flooded up they showed new water um, they began to have really good hunting. The interesting thing too is they're reporting good numbers of widgeon and pintails still being harvested in addition to their main duck in the in the bag which is the green winged teal. So it seems that a lot of widgeon and Pintail may have gone down to the uh, the San Joaquin Valley and haven't necessarily come back to the Sacramento Valley. You know, it's not unusual for birds to move from the Sac Valley down to the San Joaquin Valley during December or January, particularly when the Sacramento Valley gets multiple storm days with strong south winds. Birds seem to follow the wind and eventually the birds return to the Sacramento Valley Uh, There seemed to be a push of widgeon and teal into the Sacramento Valley right after New Year's. Um, And those could have been birds uh, coming from the north following a strong storm in Washington and Oregon around New Year's, or birds that were returning from the San Joaquin Valley. Uh, Widgeon that I harvested um, right around New Year's were pretty skinny birds, um, healthy but skinny. And usually if you harvest widgeon and teal Late in the season, and they've been in the Sacramento Valley for a, a period of time. They typically have a good fat layer, um, and so these birds had not been hanging around in the Sacramento Valley
1: all that long. Now, when when those birds arrived in the Sacramento Valley, with there still being a lot of water on the landscape, did that did that make hunting those new birds uh still a bit of a challenge i seem to recall reading a migration report that suggested that might might still there's so much water so much habitat on the landscape in the sacramento valley that maybe it was it was spreading those birds out did you see that into january as well well it improved
2: hunter success right there definitely was an improvement in hunter success in the Sacramento Valley, but, but it, you know, overall hunter success has been mixed and erratic in the Central Valley. So it wasn't a situation where we got a good influx of birds and, and all of a sudden the hunting really turned on and stayed turned on. There were some good days and, you know, then it changed and the birds continued to move around and distribute themselves, you know, in places with, less hunting pressure. So and a lot of those rice fields, you know, that got sheet water, that sheet water held for a long period of time. We got the big pulse in October, and then we've got, you know, good precip in December that kept that on the landscape. So the I think the birds were really able to take advantage of that and get to places where they could now access food, you know, in almost perfect sheet water conditions and not have a lot of hunting pressure in those areas.
1: One of the things that we've talked about a fair bit coming into the fall was the fact, at least as it relates to the birds that are produced in the prairies, is that there wasn't gonna be a lot of production coming out of the prairies. Uh, And so that's gonna mean a smaller fall flight and of those birds that do come down, they're gonna be, it's gonna be dominated by adult birds, which we all know are gonna be a little more difficult to hunt, uh, especially later in the season. But the Pacific Flyway gets, you know, among those birds produced in the prairies, you're really looking at, at, at those from Alberta, let's say, maybe some from Saskatchewan, but really it's those that are Alberta and westward that are going to filter into the Pacific Flyway. And then a big slug of birds is going to come from Alaska, where we have reason to believe that production there should have been okay, average, maybe a bit above average in some respects. But any notable things that you heard regarding the age ratios of birds that were being harvested out there. And I asked that because, like I said, we that was a common topic of discussion here in the Central and Mississippi Flyways about how, how many adult birds, especially mallards, uh, that we were seeing. And gadwall, really, is as well. A lot of these prairie nesting birds just seem to be dominated by by adults, as we would have expected. Any kind of notable observations from the Pacific Flyway in that regard
2: I don't have any in that regard I mean I think overall like you you know you stated the the Alaska breeding grounds were stable uh, not impacted like the prairies were um, Alberta parts of Alberta were certainly impacted you know by the drought but I think we had very good numbers of birds here. Unfortunately, they did not fly the midwinter survey, which they fly in January. They did not do that, you know, COVID constraints, et cetera. So we don't have that data, which is unfortunate. And that would really tell us what we're looking at. Um, It would also probably tell us something about distribution. But I think the bird's we're here or are here in good numbers. They are just spread out all over the landscape.
1: The things that we experienced this year in California are, are interesting because as we we talked about them, as we talked about the drought last summer and fall, uh, I, it might have been Mark Petrie that we were speaking with. It might have been you that we were speaking with that said, you know, we've been through something like this in the not too distant past. I don't remember if it was, maybe it was 2015 or 2016, or maybe I'm totally off on that, but there was a time in the not too distant past where the California Central Valley, uh, and I guess the Western US, maybe more broadly, was facing a really severe drought. And we were talking about these same type things of, oh, well, where's the habitat gonna come from? How, how are the birds gonna respond? And then, Um, and then all of a sudden, and I don't know if it was as early. I don't think it was as early. I think it might have been a January storm in in that particular year where it just fundamentally changed the landscape. A big weather system moved in and just put a lot of water on the landscape. And, And we talked about that earlier this year, that things can change in a hurry in that regard. So this type of thing wasn't, you know, you can't necessarily predict it far out in advance, but whenever we saw it, it wasn't like, it was something totally unexpected. Am I right in some of that recollection?
2: Yeah, yeah, you're correct. So back in 2015, um, we had been—that was, I think, the uh, fifth year of drought. And in December, you know, we had dense concentrations of birds, temperatures dropping, and there was a lot of concern about conditions being ripe for cholera outbreak. And it was just a matter of time. Everybody expected that to happen. And then the rains came. And and they were substantial rains. You know, in December, widespread sheet flooding occurred. Um, the birds followed the new water. And that disease outbreak did not occur. And, you know, when we talked in, in September Uh, We talked about that event, and I said we'd need to hope for something similar to happen this winter because of concerns, again, for crowding and the potential for disease outbreaks. Well, this year it did happen. It didn't happen in December. It happened in October, and I never remember a storm of that magnitude in October. But basically, we got what we needed from from the standpoint of water availability and access to food and spreading the birds out we got what we really needed to basically save the day now that made some challenges from a hunting standpoint but from the bird standpoint it probably was a very
1: good thing Virginia I want to I want to start wrapping this up you know and and as we do so I want
0: you and your dog are a team.
1: Uh, to the to the coming breeding season, you know, drought, as you mentioned, is still a concern. We got a lot of relief from a wintering habitat standpoint, but but drought going forward remains a concern. And I want to I want to discuss a little bit about the snowpack that you mentioned. The uh, the Sierras, I think you said, were over a hundred percent of their normal snowpack. But I wanted to ask about the Klamath Basin region. That was a, a big topic of discussion. I'm sure it will continue to be going forward. Does does that Sierra Nevada snowpack that you mentioned there uh, stretched that far up into Northern California, Southern Oregon? What kind of handle do you feel, do you have on, on snowpack up in that region?
2: Well, no, that, that's a different watershed and they also got off to a good start. Things were looking good through December. But a lot of that snow that fell, you know, certainly has melted at the lower elevations and conditions are deteriorating in that regard. So this is kind of a wait and see situation. We've got a fair amount of winter left ahead of us, but boy, we need the conditions to turn pretty quick here. A January was extremely disappointing in that regard. So, um we could have good months in February, March, and April and come out of this um, in pretty good condition, although we had a lot of makeup to do. Um, but I, I would predict that you know conditions for breeding waterfowl in the Central Valley and northeastern California are likely going to remain pretty poor
1: um, because we did have a lot of makeup to do. And in that regard, Virginia, what percentage of the wetland conditions in the Central Valley as they would influence breeding waterfowl are, are are determined by the snowpack versus the precipitation that actually falls in the valley itself. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm asking there?
2: Yeah, and the water that gets um, delivered to wetlands and the water that's delivered to grow rice during the growing season—you know—that's coming from our major storage water storage reservoirs. It's Shasta a uh, reservoir which is um, on the west side of this valley, meaning the west side of the Sacramento River, and it's Lake Oroville that's on the east side of the valley. So conditions at Oroville are better than they are on the Shasta watershed. Oroville's at about 80% of its historical average level for this time of year. Okay, Oroville has a huge basin to fill. It's 80% of its historical average level. We need more snow melt. We need more runoff to get that up um, to even being average. Now, Shasta is 55% of its historical average level. And what they're currently predicting, and again, things could change rapidly, but what they're currently predicting is expecting curtailments, again, for for, uh, systems that are supplied by Sacramento River water, you know, through Lake Shasta, expecting curtailments this coming year. So, you know, that would affect the grasslands. It would affect wetlands um, on the west side of the valley.
1: Are they forecasting some curtailments for rice agriculture as well?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be, you know, through those water districts that deliver water. So whether you're a wetland or whether you're a rice land um, that gets water through that system, they would be curtailed. So that's what's expected. Now, we can be hopeful. Like I say, we still have a fair amount of winter ahead of us. But boy, the deficit, you know, that we were trying to make up in these water storage reservoirs was incredible. And that that storm in, um, in October, I think it alone raised Lake Oroville 20 feet. And if you've seen a picture of that basin, it is a massive storage reservoir. So 20 feet is huge. But, you know, we got all this rain at one time. It all came down. It all ran off. It filled the reservoir. It was great. We need more of it.
1: And I think that's going to be the message that we hear from the prairies as well as we go forward here. We'll have a few episodes in the summer. We're going to uh, reconnect with some of our people in the field and get a report on the different breeding regions, uh, certainly including the prairies, the boreal, and uh, and some of the western, uh, western U.S. We'll obviously want to check in on, on the Klamath Basin and how wetland conditions out there will be will be shaping up this summer and then, of course, going into next fall as well. But, yeah, I think... I think the common theme this year is going to be, well, We at least at this point, I hope, I hope I'm hope i wrong, but so far it's shaping up to be one where we will say, well, we, we received some very needed rain or snowfall, but we need a lot more in order to really recover uh, from the drought that we were in. And that speaks to the severity of the drought that we were facing in several of these key geographies, whether we're talking about wintering or breeding regions, it was, uh, it was a, a bleak year last year and so hopefully we can start recovering from that um, so Virginia from an overall kind of look back on the California season uh, you know in terms of hunter success maybe what our expectations were coming in versus how they transpired there's always going to be some ups and downs uh within any during any given year as we look across space uh, within within a region but given our expectations given how dry it was given our uncertainty coming into the fall and winter out there in the west what was your what was your takeaway and what have you heard from other hunters with regard to what they experienced kind of relative to what we were expecting what's what's kind of been the tone of the conversation out there
2: i think overall conditions have been tough for waterfowl hunters you know I, I uh, I said to my hunting partner this weekend, sitting in the duck blind, I said, you know, the normal rhythm of the marsh is off. It's just off. The normal rhythm of the valley is off. You know, we we started out with severe drought to record breaking precipitation, back to abnormally dry conditions, and it's not clear yet what habitat and water conditions we're going to end up with in 2022. But because of that, the you know the the lack of water on the landscape early, and where that water was, and then the big pulse of water—it it really changed the normal rhythm of things. And, and I've talked to um, you know wetland owners that have been on their properties for many years, and they'll say, "I've never seen anything like this." You know, they see a different distribution of birds, a different makeup of birds. Um, they've seen less hunter success than normal in some of these really high-quality wetland areas. And I think in areas like the Butte Sink, you know, the Butte Sink usually pulls in a lot of birds early. Um, they're flooded up, um, and birds, you know, come into that area, particularly important for mallards, and then, you know, they spread out from there. Um, later on, well, they they weren't fully flooded up. They didn't have those prime conditions to offer early in the year. and then the whole dynamics changed, and birds went where the water was. and um, they never really came back the way that would be expected. You know, I had one one landowner tell me that he set out, last wednesday a very good club in the butte sink he said he never uh, picked up his duck call he never picked up his gun the entire day he said i've never seen anything like that in all the years i've been hunting there so it's just a very very different year i mean that's not to say that folks did not have hunter success you know Uh, Rice fields up in the basin portion of the valley, those were shooting pretty well right around, you know, late December, early January when we had the storms. Uh, We just had a strong north wind on Friday and Saturday, this past Friday, Saturday. That resulted in good hunter success, you know, in areas around the valley, the Sacramento Valley. The grasslands got good and has stayed good since the middle of December. I think Delta and Sassoon have overall been good and they've been steadier than some other portions of the valley. And, you know, they had a much more stable water supply and were flooded up early on and held that supply. It didn't even flow so much. So just different dynamics, what we're seeing. And I think the bird distribution is different. Um, I know I've seen um, on a property that I've hunted for probably 15 plus years, I have never seen so many ringneck ducks and even scop on that property. As I've seen this year, why they're there this year, I don't know. Um, That would be normally something you'd see later in the year, like when the bypass floods and then the divers work their way up the valley. You see that. Um,
1: This year, it's all different. That's really interesting uh, that you... Everything that you said there is interesting. The ringnecks, the scomp there at the end, we've heard some interesting reports delayed migration of some of the divers out of the upper Midwest this year. Um, And folks talking about some of the other species that normally they see here in the lower portion of the Mississippi Valley, some of the other like gadwall shovelers, their numbers seem to have been down in some areas and just not where we would typically see them. And, you know, it's just, yeah, I, I saw a recent DU migration report covering some of the states to the north of you there. And I forget exactly who said this, but one of the people that was interviewed and quoted in that report made something, some comment like, it's just been a weird year. It's like the birds have never been able to figure out what they wanted. To do or where they wanted to be, Uh, that maybe it's the weather systems were kind of erratic, and it was just a weird year, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see how common that theme is across some of the other flyways as we as we talk with a few people. But uh, yeah, it's always an interesting time to reflect on the way things uh, unfold. And of course, what we're talking about here are observations, anecdotal observations from a collection of individuals. So, we're not pulling together any kind of hard data, no huge database of of numbers on where birds are and how many there are there. But still, people that have been out in the field for many, many years and are familiar with areas, can certainly tell you when things are different or when they are weird from what they normally expect and what they normally see. So I'll also say I'm glad you mentioned the coastal areas because that's also one thing that we talked about last fall, speculating at that time about if it was going to be dry in the valley, that those places might experience greater success uh, or maybe more reliable success this year. Or maybe they maybe they would get some unusual birds this year. So I uh, appreciate you adding a bit of comment there on, on some of the coastal areas, but any final remarks here, Virginia, as we close this one out, uh, with respect to how things were this year uh, in California, the Western U.S. There.
2: Well, you know, if, if you're a duck hunter, as we're coming down to the last week of the season here in the Central Valley, I mean, you're probably pretty beat up by now, and and you you may be really frustrated because it has been a strange hunting season, very strange but if you if you think about it from the glass half full side look where we were headed from a population standpoint from a habitat landscape standpoint look where we were headed back in september and look where we are now so yeah it has been crazy there's been highs and lows like there are in every hunting season but if you know if you think about it from the long term perspective those big rain events really saved us the big snow event in december is going to do nothing but help us going into this next you know growing season and the the fall of 22 so that's the glass half full side yeah conditions were tough uh we're living in times of extremes which are pretty hard to predict and pretty hard to react to but if you know if you're a duck hunter you really have to have a short term and selective memory Uh, You have to be able to shake off the tough times and get back out there um, as if you're headed for the next great hunt. And those great hunts you get from time to time, um, often when they're not expected, they're going to carry you through the tough times. And there were some really great hunts this year. It's just not always clear. Some of them occurred in weather and some of them occurred for no obvious reason. But we just be thankful that conditions have improved and keep our fingers crossed that we get this precip to finish out this winter and really put us in a much better situation going into fall of 22.
1: Virginia, thank you so much for your insights here today. It's always great catching up with you. You have great perspective there from the Western U.S., especially California. You've been working there uh, many, many years, and you've seen the ups and the downs, and you've seen the good times and the bad times, and you've seen the in-between, and so you bring great perspective to this. And so uh, thank you again, and we look forward to catching up with you here sometime over the next few months, I guess, as we get into summer and maybe as we approach fall of next year. Uh, we'll be talking about this before you know it and we will we'll look forward to catching up with you again. So thank you so much, Virginia.
2: Thank you, Mike, for having me.
1: A very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Virginia Getz, Ducks Unlimited's Director of Conservation Programs for California, Nevada, Hawaii, and Arizona. Uh, we always appreciate her coming on and sharing her time and perspective and observations from out there in California. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the wonderful job he does with the podcast and getting it out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for spending your time with us. And we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DUPodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina ProPlan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.